Hello and welcome to your latest edition of BPM Pod, the podcast where we get behind people's music. I'm Ashley Scrace Vendel, sat at my home in Berlin to prepare this episode, still indoors in this uh, global pandemic, as I guess many of you are too. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to these witterings today here on BPM Pod. Today we'll be talking with Alex Spencer, a very accomplished, wonderful singer-songwriter from the UK who is now based here in Berlin. We caught up before we all became bricked inside our houses and talked about the art of songwriting, the inspiration that one gathers from being in Berlin, the importance of family, and much, much more. We'll also look at her latest musical releases and hear more about her next steps as an emerging touring artist. We're also going to hear from one of our lockdown correspondents. It's a feature I took from the Kermode of Mayo Film Review, um, which I love. Really, really fantastic podcast if you're into film at all, but also music and some sort of irrelevance here and there. Then definitely go and check that one out. But um, we'll hear from a lockdown correspondent this week, Chance Bear, who's going to review a new song that he adored in recent memory. But starting off this episode are a couple of album reviews from bands I absolutely adore. That is Heim and My Morning Jacket. Starting us off, let's kick off with some Heim. Starting off with the new Haim album, and let's get this absolutely clear. The third album from Haim is undoubtedly their best. Titled Women in Music Part 3, it's a more nuanced, varied, bitter album than their previous two, which in my opinion got worse as they went on. Uh, I loved Haim's debut album, Days Are Gone, and then their second, Something to Tell You, just did not hit the mark for me. Uh, there were some good standout tracks here and there, and Nothing's Wrong might be one of my favourite Haim tunes, but there was just something not quite clicking with the album. It, for me, it just didn't It didn't go deep enough in some areas and other areas I thought it was just kind of a filler album in a lot of places. But Women in Music Part 3, also called Wimp 3 for short, is a far more consistent album actually, despite blending a range of influences into one album. There's some pop on here, uh, like real 90s TLC sounding pop, through to the typical Fleetwood Mac-ish sounds you've come to expect from Haim, particularly on uh, the single that they released uh, called The Steps, which is incidentally my favourite song on this album. There are breezy moments, it's certainly a summer listening for sure, but there are also poignant ones. Uh, there is one track called I Know Alone, which I really, really disliked upon first listen, but it's grown on me more and more, and I can say it's firmly one of my favourites now. There's one called Gasoline, which is another track I absolutely adore, which has been beautifully mixed and orchestrated. And then there's the ballad to round it off, Hallelujah, which is a nice touching track. It reminds me of Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. Um, really, really touching song to round off the album. For me, this album oddly reminds me of, uh, and I know this is a comparison that the Heim sisters would hate, and I know this, but it reminds me most of Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. Now, I know that anyone who knows anything about 
that period of Fleetwood Mac's career and that album in particular knows that Tusk is overproduced, it's too long, it's too self-indulgent, it's too expensive. Uh, none of these things, actually the Heim album is, I must say, so it's none of those things that it's similar on at all. But in terms of the musical diversity, balancing this line between sugary pop, danceable calypso, and straight up rock, it's the album I'm most reminded of in terms of the musical journey. Women in Music Part 3 is where Haim really flex experimental muscles and for the most part, it works. Uh, there are a few tracks that lost me, particularly the opening track, Los Angeles. Didn't really get it all that much. And a mid-album track called 3AM, which really sounds like a Destiny's Child offcut. But the songwriting and composition still is pretty solid, it's just not really to my palate. Uh, the track I've been down might be the best accidental tribute I've heard to Tom Petty's You Don't Know How It Feels in a long time. Really, really simple song, but one that's actually very uh, sing-alongable, if that is a word. I don't think that's a word, but one that's very catchy and actually sticks in your head uh, for a long time. So overall, it's a great piece of work from Haim and an essential summer listen, definitely, complete with really fitting themes of loneliness, of anxiety of heartache and it's certainly apt for the times we live in now so that is Himes Women in Music Part 3 available everywhere available on vinyl all the usual stuff definitely go and check that one out We'll have another music review in a minute before we jump in and speak to the wonderful Alex Spencer but before we do that let's go to one of our lockdown correspondents now, people who listen to the Kermode and Mayo film review, which I mentioned at the top of the show, will know that they do this uh, segment where listeners give a review of a film they've watched. And I thought, well, why can't we adapt that to music? Because I guess people are still listening to music. And there's a lot out there that's dropped over the past few months, despite lockdowns and social distancing requirements and restrictions on your social life and things. Um, and there's a lot to listen to, a lot to catch up with. There always is, even in times like these. And so I opened up the question to listeners of the show to say, look, you know, what have you been listening to? And do you want to contribute something and just say a few words about something you really enjoy? And there's been some contributions uh, in this segment. So thank you very much for those. If you do have contributions, please do just get in touch with BPM Pod. You can do that on Facebook or Instagram and all through the website and send your Short reviews over, about 30 seconds or so. If you go up to a minute, no big deal. Just reviewing something you've listened to, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. This week, our first co correspondent, our first lockdown isolation correspondent, if you want, is a friend of the show, Chance Bear from the band Heavy Heavy, a band I absolutely love and have talked about lots on the podcast before. And uh, he's got this song to review, which is... Um, Gonna hit you pretty hard, so we'll just jump into that. Yo, everybody, this is Chance from Heavy Heavy. I'm here with a quick review of the song Refugees on uh, Berlin's punk hardcore band War with the Newts, their self titled EP that just came out last month. First of all, the chorus, intro, whatever of this thing just smacks you right in your entitled privilege balls, <laughs> both in terms of uh, like 
the guitar riff and bringing this clear message of social justice and quality and that hardcore juice that these guys always bring. Peace! War with the Newts, as he said, is the band, and the song is called Refugees. If you listen to it, you're going to love the verse and the chorus, which are pretty simple. Not many lyrics in this at all, but wow, it hits you. Really, really hits you hard. A lot of anger, a lot of rage, but a lot of expression in this track. And uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Really, really liked it. Three minutes of absolute power punk rock. It's uh, really heavy stuff, but really good. Um, the chorus or the verse, sorry, is um, actually really, really simple, but a sentiment that I really love, just like refugees welcome hipsters, please procreate and go forth um, in a completely different, completely different word in than that, which I'll let you, um, which I'll let you work out yourselves. But it's really, really blunt and on the money and uh, absolutely I absolutely love it. It's a really, really good track, and I'd never heard of it or anything of War with the Newts before Chance brought this up to my attention, but I'll definitely check it out. And they're releasing their debut EP, which is self-titled, and that's out now. So check them out, War with the Newts, Berlin-based band, and you can find a bunch of their stuff on all of the usual outlets. So just go and search that away and check them out. Thank you, Chance, for the review. Let's do our final review this week for now before we go and speak with the wonderful Alex Spencer. I want to talk about My Morning Jacket. So My Morning Jacket dropped a surprise album in July as a follow-up to their 2015 album, The Waterfall. Ever since it came out, The Waterfall in 2015, that is, lead singer Jim James has talked about the fact that the band had recorded many more songs and they were already at their disposal. Uh, ready for future waterfall parts. There were originally supposed to be, it was supposed to be a trio of albums, actually, waterfall parts one, two, and three. Um, but then nothing really came of it, oddly. And myself, as a My Morning Jacket fan, and I know other My Morning Jacket fans around the world, began to sort of be worried about My Morning Jacket. I sort of wondered if they'd broken up. I mean, they used to do the sort of one big holiday events, which I still think they did. Um, as far as I'm aware, consistently every year since. Um, but they didn't tour, they didn't really do very much. A couple of shows here and there, one in New York, which I saw in uh, 2017 now that is, and then they did that again the year later, Forest Hill Stadium. Um, and it was really, really great. A really, really fantastic gig, wonderful gig. But I was slightly worried because the output is normally, if not consistent, then at least they're touring or on the road or sort of active here and there. Um, But apparently they've actually been on some kind of break. Um, Jim James got caught up in touring uh, on his own. And I actually saw him on tour, incidentally, about two years ago uh, in Berlin and was very privileged to play a gig on the same stage that he played on some months later. And so now in 2020, in July 2020, comes The Waterfall Part 2. A bunch of songs that the band originally recorded in The Waterfall Sessions that they talked about at the time for the double or triple album that never was. I'm a big My Morning Jacket fan, and I have been for many years, and I was a big fan of The Waterfall. Um, I actually think even at this late stage in their career, it could be their best album, except maybe the album Z or Z, 
if you're from the US. Um, in fact, there's no really, there's no album from My Money Jacket that I actually dislike, though there certainly are ups and downs here and there. The Waterfall 2, in this sense, is not really a departure from The Waterfall in terms of sound. There's nothing that puts this as a career high or low, yet it has some absolutely glorious tracks on it, which are among the most solid works of My Morning Jacket. Uh, the track Wasted is my absolute favourite track on this album, reminded me of uh, the track Run Through from It Still Moves, that's a long way back in their back catalogue. It's groovy, it's frantic, and it's perfectly set up for a sublime jamming session when they play it live. Can't wait for that. Then there's the Bill Withers-ish sing-along Run It, and a beautifully tender sensual ballad in Feel You, which I'm pretty more is the soundtrack for quite a lot of lovemaking among my Morning Jacket fans to come. Uh, if you listen to it, you'll definitely see what I mean. The tracks, which are oddly less ambitious are the best. There was actually something I read in Pitchfork and I totally agree in their review of it. And I'm not normally a huge fan of Pitchfork and their reviews. I think they're overly harsh, but um, I really agree with that uh, sentiment that the more constrained they, the tracks here are, oddly, the better they are. And that's not me saying that my morning jacket should, should aim low, that they can't reach these highs, but somehow by providing this really solid frame, it allows for more expansive, uh, creative sort of painting within it, I guess. It's just it's just somehow better. I don't really understand how, but it, it is. It's more when they stick to what they know, I guess. Um, again, that's not me saying they shouldn't be ambitious, but there's just something about it. I, I don't know quite how it works with the band in that way, but they just seem more tight and more together on the ones that are slightly more constrained or confined. Uh, there's not a poor song on here, really. And you can hear all of the band's previous influences coming together for this effort, which is really great. I'd say overall, this album is on par with, or close to, The Waterfall, which I guess if they've all been recorded at the same time makes sense. But had either one been released as the original Waterfall album, I think I would have been just as impressed either way. For me, this is one of the best releases of 2020 so far. It's one I can't wait to buy on vinyl. There's a limited run on vinyl of a few thousand and you have to order it from the US and it costs quite a bit of money to ship it over, but it's one I'm going to seek out uh, to do, especially the special edition. Really, really cool uh, with a nice bit of artwork on it. It's certainly one that I'll keep listening to again and again and again, and it fits in brilliantly in my Money Jackets album. So that's The Waterfall 2. Uh, or the Waterfall Part 2, but I think it's actually called The Waterfall 2 by My Morning Jacket. Another one that I can only recommend this week, so definitely go and check that out. And that's the reviews this week. And if you do have any suggestions for things to review, do get in touch. And if you want to review something yourself, simply send a 30 second clip explaining what you've been listening to and your thoughts on it. And we'll get it into an upcoming episode. 
Now, back to normality, because we've been a little bit on a break during this whole lockdown isolation period where we do shorter episodes, top 10 lists, and it's been a while since we've really dug into an interview with somebody. So this week, that somebody happens to be one of the most interesting guests we have had on this podcast. Uh, She's a singer, she's a songwriter, she's a great mum, she's just a fantastic person, someone I found really inspiring and uh, just beautiful and amazing to talk to. We had a really wonderful time. As we speak with uh, Alex Spencer, singer-songwriter Alex Spencer, from her crazy, zany, museum-like home in Berlin. I'm Alex Spencer. I'm a singer-songwriter here in Berlin. I'm also a teacher. I'm also a mother. And yeah, I'm from the UK originally and I've been in Berlin for just about 20 years. You have this most amazing house that is like coming into a museum, but also coming into where my grand would live a little bit, but also coming into a bit of like, almost like circusy feel to it. It's kind of a bit hickledy-pickledy. And you've lived here pretty much forever, right, in this place? Yeah. We moved here just before my first child was born and he is coming up to his 18th birthday this month. Um, so, yes, we've been here for a really long time. And you love it here in Berlin? You still appreciate being here, I guess, otherwise I think, you would have I think it's... I do. I think, for me, the positives still outweigh the negatives. But certainly in this neighbourhood, really a lot has changed since we moved here. And So we're in Kreuzberg, we should say, like, yeah. to sort of clarify. We are not just in Kreuzberg, we are between Schlesisches Tor mm. and... Görlitzer Park, which kind of gives you a bit more of an idea of what my neighborhood um, is like. So I still, as I say, I still think the positives outweigh the negatives, but my husband, for example, would move at the drop of a hat. Mm. Um, So, but my kids have also enjoyed growing up here, so. And artistically, it's a super cool city to be still. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Where did your whole sort of musical journey begin then? Did it begin here in Berlin or before in the UK? It definitely began in the UK. So I uh, moved to Brighton um, when I was 18 and I... Not too far along the coast around from All right, okay. So yeah, no, cool city. All right. I went there to do um, some A-levels and um, I went there intending to become a jazz singer. That was kind of what... I wanted to be from the age of about 16 uh, when I discovered jazz. And um, so I went there and I met a bunch of buskers. I met a group of blokes, kind of middle-aged guys, busking jazz standards. And I marched up to them and I said, do you need a singer? And they looked back at me and said, no, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) And then I like your confidence. Yeah, yeah. I I was all about that. And and then I went uh, down the next week and I gave them a little demo of me singing uh, a standard or two. And um, and they actually, it was a tape. Mm -hmm. And they actually listened to it that afternoon when they'd finished busking. And they called me from the payphone of the pub 
where they were divvying out the money. There's so many mentions of old technology. I know, <laughs> seriously. It was, it was like this. And I was at home, you know, by then. And they called me up and they said, we liked it. Okay, we'll take you on. Okay. Wow. And then basically I learned... I, I went down the week after that. They gave me a tape with standards on both sides, so about 30 standards. And then I just started learning them slowly, um, week by week. And then I would sing all the ones I'd learned that week on the Saturday when we were busking. And then, then my repertoire grew like that. Mm. Um, so that's kind of where the journey began. Mm. Mm. Um, and then I sang all through university. I actually studied philosophy, mm -hmm. not music, but um, I was in bands and in the music scene at Sussex University and and then started really writing my own songs at the beginning of my 20s. Okay. Yeah. And then how did that sort of manifest itself in the UK then? Because when I sort of search you up, there's sort of bits and pieces here and there, but in terms of releases, mm -hmm. they're quite recent. Mm -hmm. So am I missing a complete treasure trove of stuff somewhere else? Well, there there is a treasure trove, but it's, it is literally before there was Spotify and before, I mean, I, I, I recorded stuff on CD. Yeah. So, and, and I, I didn't, I wasn't kind of clever enough to, when I started to release stuff online, put that stuff out first. Mm. I just came out with my newest stuff. Mm. Mm. So I actually recorded an album, a full album of 10 songs in 2010, mm -hmm. but that's only on CD. Yeah, yeah. And, and then the most recent one, um, which was last year in April, mm. um, but there was a big break because I did have three children. Yeah. So that's, that explains that, um, yeah, that I did kind of drop off the scene for quite, quite a number of years. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that now while we're here because mm -hmm. it's actually something I've written down because, well, by the time this goes out, the little bugger's going to be keeping me awake at Yay! night. So uh, that's that. But um, that's kind of one of my fears, I guess, mm -hmm. and fears of some of the musicians I talk to is that you just completely drop off the mm -hmm. face of the earth mm -hmm. in terms of musical scene. Mm -hmm. Is that what you found? And then second part of that, how did you then get back into it? Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, this is something I've thought a lot about. Um, and I'm very always very happy to talk to musicians who are becoming uh, parents because mm. a lot of people get very anxious about that thing. So my journey was that when I first got to Berlin, it was the year 2000, and there really wasn't the kind of uh, singer-songwriter music scene that there is now mm. at all. Okay. It was very much still a kind of a techno city. Mm. The music that was going on was the electronic music. There was a small kind of anti-folk scene happening. Mm. Mm. There were very few venues where you could play. So I was active, as active as I could be, mm. um, for, for, for a couple of years. But I would not say that I was kind of embedded in a, in a musical community. Mm. Mm. So I suspect that if you, if you are already embedded in a musical community, and you have kids, even if it if it means that you kind of have to, you know, take a back seat for a while and you drop off the scene for a while, I imagine that coming back is easier. 
because mm. the way I did it, I mean, yeah, I mean, I had three kids um, over um, a period of five years. Mm. And then, and I started teaching as well, and that took a lot of wow. energy. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah, yeah. So I really didn't have that space to to be going out and gigging. I was no. always writing. I always continued to write songs, but I would only do a concert if somebody else asked me to play somewhere or I was doing house concerts or whatever, so mm. small scale. Mm. And I really kind of came back, really made this decision to go out and find the community um, in 2016, I guess. Yeah, mm -hmm. November 16. Wow. And... Yeah, and then I really, and then I just really came out and, and started going to all the open mics and figuring out who was who and where could I fit in and who do I connect with and who can I play with. Mm, mm. And that and that can happen really quite quickly. Mm. If you really, I mean, the open mic nights are the, are the place to find people, really. Yeah, yeah. And um, so you kind of get the lay of the land, you know, if you if you go to all of them mm, <laughs> over mm, a mm. period of weeks or a couple of months. So I would say it, it it's probably, I don't know, it's maybe different for mothers and fathers, you know, um, to what degree you can still remain active or to what degree you really have to kind of like um, stop in mm, order to concentrate mm. on, on, on the kids. Yeah. Yeah. What sort of got you back into it then? Because then that's quite a long gap mm -hmm, if you mm -hmm, talk about like mm -hmm. what we did. So you're still writing, you still practice, you still play, mm -hmm. but it becomes more of a part-time sort of hobby. It's mm -hmm. not even really a hobby. It's mm -hmm. just sort of burning in the background. That's right. But what, what then sort of spurred you back in to think, wait, I need to sort of do a bit more than this. Okay. So that's a super good question. So all those years when I wasn't actively playing, I was suffering. Like, it wasn't a thing of like, oh, well, maybe one day. It was, it was, a, it was a deep need and lack yeah. that I was carrying around with me. Yeah. But it was also, it, it, um, it was a conscious kind of sacrifice that I was making. Mm -hmm. Because um, I could see that it wasn't, it just wasn't possible with small kids and um to to be out in the evenings it's a, you no, know it's an no. art form which is which relies on being out in the evenings and if you've got kids where you have to be up at six mm. you know and you've got to get kids ready for kindergarten or school or whatever or you've yeah. got to prepare lessons it just doesn't work mm. but i think it's really important for any kind of artist to know who becomes a parent like stay with the longing to do it like mm. don't ever bury that to a place where you think, oh, well, it was something I did in my youth, you yeah, know? Yeah. And now I've got kids, it's much more important than, you know, why am I so upset about not being able to play mm, music? That's mm, really rubbish, you know? Mm. And I know people who really bury that part yeah. of themselves. Yeah. Because it's too painful not to be able to do it mm, and have that mm. tension and that lack. So <clears throat> then there was um, a period where we thought we were going to move to the country. Mm. And that took a couple of years to not happen. And I then basically um, went through a, a kind of a crisis, a dark night of the soul, mm -hmm. where I thought, 
where it slowly became clear to me, I can't move. I can't move out of the city. I'm not ready to do that. Um, even though, you know, my husband really does want to move. Mm-hmm. And that was the point where I thought, okay, hang on, I'm going to stay. And the reason I'm going to stay is it's kind of now or never. I have to see if I can still be a musician. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when I was like a, kind of like a, something that had been held back in a slingshot yeah, yeah. for so many years. And then I was let go and then it kind of all happened really, really fast. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was why it was a real thing of like, okay, now it has mm. to be now. My youngest child was nine, mm. which I think is the point at which the, there's a kind of a, um, a new level of development in a child where they can, where they are not so dependent on their parents anymore. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was the time. That but then there. you have the other balance, right? Because you're still a teacher as yeah. well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And does that take up the majority of your time? Or what, what, what is sort of taking your time mostly these days? Is mm-hmm. it the music? Is it the teaching? Is it the being a nice mother, human being, yeah. parent? Yeah. Or what is it that's taking... Um, I think it's really... They're all balls that I juggle. With, with teaching, I experimented during the first few years with hours how many hours can i take on and still manage to do other things so my hours expanded and then they and then they contracted and now i'm at a point where not only are my hours i mean i'm i do just over half time Mm. so i'm not Mm. full time Mm. by any means and and they also i also teach certain classes which mean that i have my afternoons free nice so that was the decision. And I actually have my early mornings also free. So I start teaching at 10 mm. and I'm finished by maximum by two. Mm. And that's really, if I didn't have that, I think it wouldn't be as easy to juggle. No, no. But afternoons I can organize rehearsals. I can do recording, mm. all mm. that sort of thing. I can sit down on my computer and book gigs. Mm. Um um, amongst all the other things of washing and cooking and yeah, cleaning yeah. and da, 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 helping Life. with homework, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the other stuff, yeah. yeah. But so that's why I um, I would say it's um, it always moves. Sometimes um, music is taking up more. Sometimes the kids need more attention. And um, but now I've been teaching for ten years, so mm. the teaching, you know, the more experience you gather with teaching, the less time intensive it is to prepare so yeah so you would class yourself i guess primarily as a jazz musician right also a controversial subject okay go on okay so how would you define yourself so that's um i I asked because i was going to talk about the music you've released that i listened Mm -hmm. to because the first sort of thing was growing pains but that always almost had some sort of alternative folk Laura mm-hmm. Marling kind of mm-hmm. tinge to it mm-hmm. and then I listened to your last album which was Shine mm-hmm. and that had I don't know like it was primarily jazz or rhythm proper rhythm and blues mm-hmm. driven mm-hmm. but it had sort of pop tinges here mm-hmm. and there there's mm-hmm. a couple of real folky songs mm-hmm. here and there mm-hmm. and that's why yes I'm glad I touched your nerve mm-hmm. with are mm-hmm. you a jazz musician mm-hmm. so um, this is the thing is that <sighs> My roots are definitely in jazz. And jazz is definitely my first love. And jazz is a thing that I go back to when I don't know anymore, Mm. sort of. Mm. Um, 
And I play with jazz musicians, but the jazz musicians who are real proper jazz musicians who went to school and learned jazz and, you know, know everything about jazz, mm. they would never, you know, dream of categorizing me as a jazz musician or indeed as the music that we do as jazz. It just okay. simply, it doesn't, it for a person who properly knows jazz, it's not jazz. No, no, no. But for a lay person, it has, it has those tinges or those associations or those undercurrents mm, mm. of jazz. Yeah. And so that's how I would, I would, um, I, I, I have too much respect for jazz musicians to call myself. Yeah, one. that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. It's interesting because I, I always kind of like, I was always rather put off by the category singer-songwriter. Yeah. And same. I've actually come to embrace it because, oh. but this is why. You have to pitch um, to me your argument. All right, ready? This I'm, is I'm it. I'm going off it. This gradually. is it, is that if you look at what I do, that's exactly what I am. Mm -hmm. I think of myself primarily as a singer. Because mm -hmm. if, if somebody said, oh, sorry, you can't write songs anymore, you have to sing jazz for the rest of your life, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be that miserable. Like okay. I would yeah, yeah. probably yeah. be, like, be okay, okay with that. Fine. Yeah. But I am also a songwriter. Boom. And the, the thing is, to call yourself a musician, again, I think if you really want to call yourself a musician, you have to understand music. Mm. You have to know music. You have to be able to read music. You have to understand the structure of music. You have to understand, mm. you know, those are musicians. Mm. Mm. And I'm not one. I don't know what I'm playing half the time. <laughs> yeah. that's. And so I've really kind of stepped into that. Um, embrace that singer songwriter because that's exactly what I am. That's not a bad reason. Yeah. I've never really thought of it like yeah. that actually. release shine mm -hmm. you collaborated with a jazz trio right? yes mm -hmm. and i read your description of them about like how amazing they are and <laughs> stuff like this but how did that come to fruition then? was that just a conversation bumping into people pretty at much a... pretty much it was a jam session um the um story actually goes all the way back to um a wedding of good friends of ours and they had a fabulous jazz band playing there. It was like eight piece or something nice. and they were super nice. great. And me being as bolshy as I was when I was 18, kind of went up to them and I was like, oh, I'll sing a song with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I like jumped on, hopped on a couple of songs. And then I was chatting with them afterwards and I kept in touch. And one of them was running a jam session, a jazz jam uh, which was basically the live music for a swing dancing um, hmm. night. Okay. And he texted me um, sometime in the summer of uh, of uh, 2017, and he texted me and said, oh, um, we're doing this jam, why don't you come over? Hmm. So I went over and sang a bit, and Ben, who's the bass player, was one of the bass players who was on that jam. Hmm. Okay. And we got chatting afterwards... 
Um, and I said, actually, I'm looking for musicians to play with. And we swapped um, numbers and I sent him some stuff, not expecting him to be into it, really. Okay. But he was. And so we started rehearsing together. And like in, in September of 2017, and then we did gigs, we immediately started doing gigs. And, you know, he's he's much younger than me. He was like in his mid-20s. Okay, okay. And... I was kind of puzzled by what was his motivation in, in even kind of doing this type of music, which to me was, it seemed to be beneath him in a way, okay. because he was capable of such amazing yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. And um, so we did a few gigs and it just worked beautifully. He just yeah. had such an incredible ear, such an amazing way of really enhancing the songs. Yeah. And uh, so then, and then we had a kind of a heart to heart and we sat down in a pub after one of our like really bad gigs that we did. And he said, well, what do you want to do with this? Where do you want to take this? Yeah. And I said, well, I, I want to record an album, mm. but I need other musicians. And he said, well, I happen to know a couple. Mm. We've got a, a gig coming up at Pepe Guggenheim, which is this, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's like a, a jazz venue in Neukölln. It was the week after I went there, super crowded. You could hardly move or mm. even get in there. Mm. Very smoky. Mm. Kind of like right at the far end, there was this jazz band mm. just going hell for leather. Mm. Like I went in there and I watched them. There was Ben like going away on his bass, drummer, saxophonist and a guitarist. Wow. And the guitarist was was a guest player with them. Mm. And they were just like, they, it just completely blew my mind mm. because it was, um, you know, they were playing everything by heart. Mm. Most of it they had written themselves. Mm. And they were playing on the edge of their Schmerzgrenze, or what do you say, their, their, their pain threshold. Yeah, yeah. They were playing to the, to their pain threshold. Yeah. Like that's how intense it was. Yeah. So I was really blown away. And then um, Ben had said, yeah, why don't you ask the other two? So the drummer, who's called Marcia Frenzel, and uh, the saxophone player, Paul Engelmann. And I thought, well, they're not going to want to do same same kind of idea. They're yeah, not yeah. going to want to do my yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But I sent them an email. Lo and behold, they were up for it. Of course, like having Ben already on the project kind of helped me mm, out mm. and so we started rehearsing um we played loads of gigs which is not to be recommended all in berlin but i just thought either we rehearse or we play gigs yeah, yeah. you know so um we just played loads of gigs in the spring and the summer and in july 2018 is that right yeah then we started then we did the recording mm. Cool. And and that was brilliant because by that time, you know, the songs were so were so kind of needed through by them mm, mm. that we recorded the three of them live, like all the songs, them playing as a trio, and then did all the other overdubs on top. So mm. that's kind of like the bedrock of of the album. But how does that feel, like having someone really take your songs? Because I guess you wrote yeah. them all originally just... Yeah. 
you know, on a piano Tyrone guitar, voice, whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like with you in mind. Mm -hmm. And then it just sort of picks up to like this other new level. Like, mm -hmm. how does that feel? Like to non-musicians, that's super hard to explain. Like, how do you... One of your daughters, I think, just came in, but it said she snuck out very quietly. Okay. <laughs> she was like, "Oh God, I'm out of here." <laughs> How does it feel? Well, with them, um, I I, f I always felt just very privileged, mm. and but after a while, um, like I think that you can slip into. Um, an attitude of like, oh, well, they're doing me a favor kind of mm, thing, you know? Mm. And it took me a while to get out of that. Mm. And it helped just having conversations with them. Mm. Like one time um, we, we did a, um, a gig. At, I can't remember where it was, but there were two people on the bill. Mm. So somebody else played before us and then we played as a trio mm. uh, without drums. And afterwards we were having a drink and... Ben and Powell were conversing about having listened to this other singer and how they had both been wondering what would I play, what, how would I accompany her if I was going to okay. play to her songs. Right. And, and they agreed that, well, they were saying, well, I think it was Ben who said it specifically, he was like, I didn't have any ideas. And he said that the songs were too closed. They were too determined already mm. in mm. what they were. Mm. And I happen to write songs, unbeknownst to me, unintentionally, that are very open. Okay. So in terms of the way that they're structured and the way that the chords come across, mm. the other musicians that play have a lot of options of how they how they to can take expand it. it right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So at that point, I kind of realized, ah, oh, okay, they, um, you know, they're actually enjoying it. It's mm. actually, it is giving something to them, even if it's not as complicated as the other music that they're used to playing. Mm. It, it is challenging them in a different way. Mm. Mm. And, and one of the things, and the way I can see that, and one of the things I most appreciate about playing with them is that they play something different every time. Mm. I mean, mm. almost every time we play a song, mm. they'll add something different to what they play yeah still within the confines but yeah. a little different yeah that's yeah, yeah, good though exactly i like that and that and that just makes it also all the more easy to keep the songs fresh and you know to have every time you start the song you're kind of like wow what's gonna happen yeah, this time yeah you but know? that's cool and it is it's really but that requires more than just like musical intelligence if you want to put it that way mm -hmm. like that requires something I've talked about quite a few times mm -hmm. on here and still talk about with musicians mm -hmm. a lot. This sort of thing that I never really understand how to call it. Just this kind of soul. You mm -hmm. need some, it's some sort of unspoken connection where you know that one, you can trust one another. Like yeah. that's probably the most important thing. And two, you just know that it's going to go somewhere good. You're not a hundred percent sure. And sure everyone has their off days and yeah. it's not as good some days, but you can just sense when to get louder, when to get yeah, quieter, when to yeah. hold back, when to go full yeah, in. Yeah. Like, did that develop straight away, that sort of sense of soul? Because that's a very difficult thing to cultivate. Absolutely. Um, yes, it did. And I think that's that's basically because 
that's the exact essence of what jazz is. Mm. That's that's their bread and butter. Mm. They do that in every single constellation that they play in. That's what they're doing. They're listening to each other. They're figuring out what the vibe of the song is. They're following and they're leading at the same time. And so, um, yeah, it was really there from the beginning. Um, I don't think, I can't think of a time when when we played something and I thought, oh, that was a bit off. Mm. Mm. Wow. <laughs> it just wasn't. But, you know, that's, I'm, I'm just super, super lucky um, to have uh, come across them. I think, like you were saying, I think you can cultivate it in some instances and you have to do a lot of practice and you have to, and I really think there's, you have to get to know each other. You can't totally. just have a band where that's, you know, it's just about the music. You have to actually get on as people. You have to get to know their stories. You have to, you know, figure out what their humor's like. and Totally. So, and we were on the road in England. We were on tour in July. So that also kind of deepens that. Yeah. on it so we are actually recording this we should say in march so it's probably yeah. already out let's hope now. yes let's so, hope there's, so there's a single out there's a single out <laughs> there's a single out it's called screw you <laughs> and it uh there is a dancer involved in this mm. um single i had a, uh, a, a strong vision for the video uh, this was uh, in November. I had this very strong idea for the video and it was of a dancer. And it was a kind of a um, Pina Bausch. I don't know if Pina Bausch means anything to you. She was a choreographer, uh, died uh, several years ago now. She worked in Wuppertal and she, had, she was a real, uh, what's the word, game changer for modern dance. Mm, okay. And she did, uh, there's, there's a documentary film about her called Pina. And in that film, there is her dancers dance uh, in the city in, in Wuppertal, just mm. on the street or in, in various different locations. And so I had this strong image of something similar to that, where uh, the dancer was, was dancing kind of in this urban surroundings. Mm. And so I happen to know a dancer who's um, the mother of a girl in my son's class. So I immediately sent her a message and told her my idea. And she wrote back saying, well, I've just finished a project. I'm back in town. I have time. I like the song. Let's do it. And then it really just rolled. Um, she got another dancer involved. So there are scenes where there's two of them dancing and um, the filmmaker who had done my last two videos from Shine, uh, he had time as well. So we went ahead and we shot it in December, which was quite amazing. Quite a few long uh, shooting days where this dancer friend was really was just kind of blowing my mind how dedicated she was um, to the project, even mm. though it wasn't hers. Again, it was mm. this thing of being so humbled by 
other incredible artists who take your project、mm. and and add their magic to it. So go and check it out. It's called Screw You, and it will be on YouTube. And、um, yeah. yeah. And then, what else have we got in the pipeline? Then, any other gigs you want to be doing? Any plans there to get back out and play live with the band? I am in the process of basically putting a new band together. Okay.、Um, because the sound of this new EP is very different to Shine.、Mm. I've worked in the studio with Brian. He added a lot of input to the songs, and. So I need to find a way to, if not to replicate it, to at least approximate the sound of the album mm. live, mm. and that's going to take a lot of practice. And I've got a couple of other musicians、um, involved, so we are going to have to do a bunch of rehearsals before we really take it live. Yeah.、Um, which is why I haven't been booking gigs of late,、um, because I feel like I need to have a proper vision of what we sound like. In order to kind of go out and, and hunt, hunt the gigs, makes sense. Yeah, but then stay tuned, I guess. So, where can people?、Mm-hmm. Last question.、Yeah. Find、mm-hmm. out more about you. So, I have a Facebook page. I do have an Instagram page. I have a YouTube channel, and it's all Alex Spencer music. Yeah, it was pretty easy to find. Yeah, yeah.、Um, and I'm on all the streaming platforms: Spotify. iTunes, all of that malarkey. Nice. Yeah. The black hole of music,、That's、as、right. we put it earlier. Yeah. <laughs> But、uh, a good black hole sometimes,、mm-hmm. I guess, for、mm-hmm. a bit. Yeah. We were shy. And that's all we've got time for on this week's edition of BPM Pod. Thank you very much for joining. It's a self-done production here of BPM Pod, and、uh, if you ever want to help out, just get in touch. You can definitely do so. Send us your album reviews or recommendations. Always on the lookout for more content and things to talk about. And、uh, really get in touch, and I'll I'll respond and. Put you on here as you need to be. On the next episode, we'll be talking to、uh, Hans Anelson, who is a Good friend of mine, longtime collaborator, and、uh, we're going to talk to him about his music, my music, working together, how we got to know each other. It's、uh, it, it's a long one, and、uh, prepare yourselves for that. Definitely, we'll also have some more music to review and some of our more social isolation lockdown correspondence. Again, thank you very much for listening. Have a great day, whatever it is you're doing out there. Stay safe, stay lucky, and. I'll speak to you soon.